Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. And I'm delighted to bring you an author and a book that has inspired me so much. So we're going to talk a lot about light. And many of our verbal expressions illustrate the countless ways in which light manifests in our everyday lives. When we feel inspired, we say we've had a flash of insight. When someone's smart, we may say they're brilliant. And when they've changed their beliefs or thinking, we say they have seen the light. When we speak of a new idea, we might even say a light bulb went off. So I'm going to invite you to lighten up. And listen to this enlightened conversation with Jacob Israel Lieberman. Dr. Lieberman will reflect a new way of seeing the light within, maybe even the light of God, and undoubtedly inspire you to create a luminous life. So I invite you to take a few deep breaths, bring your awareness into this moment, open your mind and heart, and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce introduce Dr. Jacob Israel Lieberman. He's a pioneer in the fields of light, vision, and consciousness, and the author of numerous books, including Luminous Life, How the Science of Light Unlocks the Art of Living. Originally trained as an optometrist and vision scientist, his life changed in 1976 after the miraculous healing of his eyesight, leading him to a deeper understanding of light and the science of life. An internationally respected public speaker, Dr. Lieberman shares his scientific and spiritual discoveries about light as the divine spark that guides our life's journey, entwining us with the unseen architect of all that is. Don't you love that? He's addressed more than 2,000 live audiences worldwide and has been endorsed by many award-winning authors artists, Hall of Fame athletes, luminaries in science, spirituality, and medicine. And I'm really just intrigued and excited to have this conversation today. So welcome, Dr. Lieberman. It is a great pleasure to be with you today. I'm smiling already. (laughs) Excellent. Well, I'm smiling already, and I get this really gorgeous, yummy, gold, yellow, luminous book in my hand here. And it's just funny, as I looked over to it, I have a bright yellow marker with some bright yellow messages and then two hand towels that I brought in for the restrooms and I've got all this yellow around me. So I think it's going to be a good day. What do you think? I think it already is. <laughs> it is, it is. Well, Jacob, I have a traditional first question here on the show, and I, I always love to ask that to start by just grounding our conversation into a bigger perspective. And I know from reading your book that you will appreciate this and have a brilliant response. So would you share with our listeners, what does all things connected mean to you? Well, That's a very interesting question, Um, because when you say all things, you immediately think of different things. And yet, when you say connected, 
they're together. Um, and essentially, um, I think we cognitively attempt to break things up into parts uh, in hopes that we will have the ability by doing that to see the whole. The problem is <clears throat> that the, the conscious mind, which deals with duality, is specifically designed to see the parts, this or that, black or white, right or wrong. Then there's another aspect, which you could call non-local consciousness, which is this field of awareness that sees from no point of view. And that sees everything as a state of isness. There's not a question about whether things are separate or not separate. They just are. Uh, about 1,500 years ago, a great Zen patriarch named Sengston wrote a brilliant piece. It's one of my favorite pieces. It's called the Sin Sin Ming. And the opening um, of this piece is very beautiful. It says, the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. In other words, when there's no sense of separateness, this or that I like or I don't like, you touch the great way. And then Sengston goes on, when love and hate are both absent, the world is clear and undisguised. In other words, our ability to see is totally clear when the seeing is occurring with no preferences. And a lot of people have spoken about this uh, in the Gospel of Thomas. Jesus is quoted as, as saying, when you see up as down and down as up, when you see the outside and the inside the same, when you see a man as a woman and a woman as a man, then you shall enter the kingdom. So when you ask the question, what comes up when you say all things connected, what comes for me <clears throat> is freedom. What comes for me is living without a net. What comes for me is just a sense of delight, a, a, a sense of, um, I don't need... I don't even have a word for it because the state that we're speaking about does not include a subjective me in there saying, oh, this is terrific. There just is a, a sense of uh, peace throughout. And so... I don't know how to speak about this, but I hope that some of what I've shared can be heard, even though I probably can't say it well. Mm. Actually, I think you said it quite well, and I really appreciate your response of moving into that um, that no-thing space, that, that place of peace, because that comes through your, your book and your writing so well through all of your storytelling, through your wisdom and your, you know, your sense of science and spirituality. So, you, you kind of actually introduced our conversation quite well in that too. So, I really do appreciate that answer. And, you know, the, 
Jacob, after doing this show for five years, I said, you know, I I really don't want to change the title, but it's funny that the evolution after five years, um, five years ago, it was as if we were trying to convince our listeners of this um, interconnected, interdependent reality of wholeness and this whole worldview that you know, we were, we were guests, we were looking at science, we were bringing things forward. And now five years later, it's like, well, of course, they're really even to say it's connected um, doesn't work anymore because it's never not connected. So it's, it's like this evolution that's happening and your book adds a unique voice to this conversation. So I want to expand on what I, what I mean by that, Jacob, because I can't wait to hear what comes through you that literally you're speaking of um, the topic of this um, this wisdom of light that moves through everything and how science is really unlocking so much for us. And you do it in a, a really unique way. So let's start by your story because you had a significant event early as an optometrist, you were meditating and all of a sudden your vision improves. Can you tell us more about that and, and what sure. sent you off on this path of, of discovery? You know, um, when we go out into the world, we notice that almost everyone we see is wearing contact lenses, is wearing glasses, has had LASIK surgery. Uh, Certainly, if you're over 40 or 45, you have to have reading glasses. And this is just something we see it so often that we just assume this is the way things are. And when I went into practice, I really was confronted by the fact that no one's eyes seemed to get better. Now, if someone came in to us uh, and and, uh, into a physician's office or any sort of a healthcare practitioner's office and said, "I, I don't feel well, and the doctor either gave them an herbal remedy or a homeopathic or an antibiotic, whatever might be appropriate. And if the person then came back and the situation had gotten worse, and if the doctor said, well, just double up on the dose that I gave you last week, and then they came back and it got worse, and the doctor just kept increasing the dosage of that which didn't work, You'd say something is wrong with this picture. And we would never accept that. We want a second opinion. But in the vision care field, when someone goes in and says, I can't see, we give them uh, a, a tool that allow, gives them uh, the immediate gratification of I can see now. But six months later or eight months later, Or even a week later, they remove their glasses and they realize, gee, a week ago I could have gotten by without my glasses. Now I'm totally crippled without them. And so people intuitively know something is wrong, but no one ever bothers to question this. Well, when I went into practice, this had been my story. I had been wearing glasses for years 
I couldn't see without them. I couldn't drive without them. And so I began investigating to see, is there anything I can do to prevent vision deterioration, to help someone reduce their dependency upon glasses, to, is there anything I can do at all that can um, in some way allow someone to regain what is natural for them? And in the process, I experimented with myself reducing my prescription, doing vision exercises, wearing my glasses less. And all of these things had an incremental impact, which was beneficial. But then one day in 1976, I was sitting to meditate, which is something that I had done for years. And I took my glasses off and I closed my eyes. And somewhere in the midst of this meditation... It was almost as though I disappeared. There was no sense of an individual me. There was just a sense of total clarity. Everything was clear. And what I mean by that is that even though my eyes were closed, whatever was aware was aware of Jacob sitting in the room meditating was aware of the room and was aware that there were no questions or answers. There was, the mind was totally still. And when this meditation ended and my eyes opened up, the clarity that had occurred when the eyes were closed was still there. And that was a bit shocking for me because without my glasses on, I could just see the big E on the chart. So to be able to look around and without squinting or straining and without my glasses on, everything be clear was like, whoa, what's happening here? It was so strong that I got in my car, my glasses on the seat next to me. I drove a half an hour to my office. It was a Sunday. And I noticed that the license plates, the street signs, the billboards, everything was easily readable. Hmm. I got to my office. I sat in my examination chair 20 feet away from a series of eye charts that I had never seen before. And I was able to see 300% better. I was seeing one line better than 2020. <clears throat> this was shocking to me. Because this was not supposed to be possible. And at that point, it was like, what, what's going on here? So I decided to examine myself. And I did with myself what I had done with hundreds, if not thousands of patients. Put myself behind the instrument, blur, you know, put in some lenses that made things blurry, and then gradually change the lenses, even though I couldn't see what I was doing until things became very clear. And when that process finished, I came out from behind the instrument and the feeling was, since I'm seeing 300% better without squinting or straining, is it possible that my prescription just disappeared or my prescription is less than what it used to be? 
Well, I was totally shocked because when I came out from behind the device and looked at the optical measurements of my eyes, they hadn't changed at all. The measurements in the device were almost identical to the prescription in my glasses. So let me, let me say that again. Whatever was seeing within me was able to read 300% better. But my eyes had not changed at all, which immediately meant to me, or, or actually brought up the question, what is the mechanism within us that sees? Now, at the moment that happened, I wasn't, I wasn't sure whether to be excited or terrified because I'd never heard of anything like this. I'd never seen anything like this. I'd never read about anything like this. Now, if that had occurred on its own, without doing anything or intending anything, and if that occurred for a minute, you would say, my God, it was a miracle. I could see clearly for a minute. If it happened for a day, you'd say, oh my God, I, I don't even know how to explain this. But this has now persisted for me for 42 years. I'm 70 and a half years old. My eyes, if I go to the eye doctor, still show a very significant amount of astigmatism. I used to be nearsighted. Now I'm farsighted. It should be more difficult for me to read up close, but I don't use any glasses for reading. And I spend much of my day working on a computer or reading research. I don't need glasses to pass my driver's test. So what's fascinating about this is that it came about all by itself. There wasn't any doing, any trying, any exercising, any anything. It literally was just instantaneous. And what's powerful about that is that there is some force or something that is animating everything in this universe. Whether it is the movement of the planets around the sun and the solar system, whether it is changes in the environment or what we call Mother Nature, or changes within our own physiology, we have nothing to do with that. None of us controls the natural um, fluctuation in the body where the body is continually expanding and contracting. We call it breathing or the respiratory cycle and assume we're doing it, but we're not. Something is actually animating that motion. And what is doing that is also causing the beating of the heart and the changes that occur in the cardiac rhythms, what's occurring in terms of all of our hormonal release. In other words, when you really look carefully at the physical body, you realize that it's self-activating and self-regulating, and so is everything outside the physical body that we call nature or the universe. And yet, we're been told from the time we were infants that we have to try hard, we have to think ahead, we have to make things happen, we have to do this, we have to do this, we have to do this. And so for me, 
what I'm really looking for is truth beyond opinion. What's actually occurring uh, if we have an opportunity to have a direct experience that doesn't, that sees from a place of no preferences, as Sangston spoke about, or as is the case with a newborn who has no idea that what they experience as their mother is actually no different than themselves. The infant doesn't know that anything, doesn't have any sense of gender or skin color or religion. It doesn't have any preferences. In other words, we come into this world hardwired to see things from no preferences, to see things unconditionally, to see from a state of oneness. That seeing mechanism is not me, you know, uh, one way for me and a different way for you. When we really begin to go back to what is animating this life for all of us, we come back to a common place. And because it's a common place, it's that oneness you spoke about in the very, very beginning. It's not a bunch of different perspectives. It's a place of no point of view. It's a place of no preferences. It's a place of unconditionality. Mm. So, Jacob, I think this is, I just really want to pause here and, and help bring this home because um, you began talking about how quite literally we don't expect to heal poor eyesight. We, we don't have that expectation in our consciousness. Right. And what you experienced wasn't necessarily that your eyes changed. What you experienced was this revelatory perspective of seeing through that force that's animating life and everything right. in the universe. And so, and maybe you can just answer this. We just have a few minutes before break, but I had one of those experiences too. Um, but I wasn't an optometrist. So I had literally had a fall in the middle of the night, split my head open, had a head injury. And the next day I noticed that I could see from a distance. And I have a left eye that's, they call it not correctable, a lazy eye. But literally, I, I don't use it at all. And I was seeing from that perspective and of course when i reported it they were like well it's an anomaly you just hit your head and just keep your glasses on everything's fine but i wonder what would have happened if i would have said jacob i can see tell me what do i do from that point you know and how maybe things would have evolved so is that correcting my vision or is that seeing from that place of no preference it's seeing from the place of no preferences. And when you say, tell me what to do, <clears throat> I would tell you nothing. Mm. There is nothing to do. When something occurs in life that shakes us up like a bang to the head, and all of a sudden it fragments the way we are holding life in place, mm. <clears throat> all of a sudden things frequently go back to their default setting, their factory settings, if you will. Mm. 
And if one is very fortunate, they may actually experience seeing through the eyes of God. They may actually experience seeing from a place that's, that sees everything, but doesn't, there isn't an individual there that says, I want this or this. It's just um, a sense of knowing that accompanies this particular place. And so, you know, as soon as you shared your experience and they said, ah, it's just your imagination, although they said it's an anomaly. Um, there is no such thing as imagination. <laughs> um, you had a direct experience, but for someone who's never had a direct experience, they have no idea what that is. Mm. So they attempt to tell you what they think it is, which is what most of us do all day long. We share our ideas, our thoughts, our theories, what we call our beliefs. But the word belief actually means the opposite of truth. And so to come back, you had an experience of truth. That is a very different thing then, oh, I believe this can happen, or I believe this can happen. What happened to you is something you know by heart now. And once you've tasted that, it's possible that if it occurs again, something will immediately know. Mm. Thank you for that. This is a, a, a maybe not the best place to take a break because I want to ask you so many other questions, but it is an inspiring place to take a break because we're going to talk about so much more of what does it really mean if we turn our lives over to seeing with this force that's animating everything in the universe. I'm Dr. Julie Kroll. You're listening to The Dr. Julie Show. We're going to take this quick break, and when we come back, so much more with Dr. J. Jacob Lieberman. We'll be right back. You're listening to Empower Radio, an entire radio station devoted to your personal development, expanding your conscious awareness, and empowering positive change. Meet our hosts and listen online at EmpowerRadio.com, on iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher Radio, or iTunes, or download the Empower Radio app for your smartphone or tablet. It's free in the App Store, and it lets you listen to our shows and podcasts on demand. Empowering people, empowering change. Empower Radio, online at EmpowerRadio.com. Alrighty, mateys. Welcome to the ocean. I've sailed the seven seas a hundred times and found something I like even more than me treasure. Tis the ocean. Beautiful and clear. Right now, I'd be sailing over the Great Barrier Reef. It just shivers me timbers thinking of all the fish and coral below me. Wait, what's that floating by? A plastic bag? By Blackbeard's eye patch, that's disgusting. Why did you know that many of these things come from folks throwing them carelessly on the ground? It'd be true. Lend us a hand by always recycling and disposing of your trash properly. Boys, get the plank ready. Somebody's got to dive in and get that bag. Any volunteers? All right, fine. I'll do it myself. Cannonball! Find out what you can do to help keep the oceans healthy at keepoceansclean.org. Brought to you by the Keep Oceans Clean Alliance and the Ad Council. This is a test. 
to find out if you know it all when it comes to children. Time starts now. Name one of the leading killers of U.S. children age 1 to 13. What's the best way to protect children in a car crash? At what age and size should a child start using a booster seat? Where can you find the answers to these questions? Car crashes are one of the leading killers of U.S. children. Many of those deaths could be prevented by making sure that kids are in the right seat for their age and size. Don't assume you know it all when it comes to car seats for your child. Go to safercar.gov slash the right seat and know for sure. That's safercar.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Okay, what are you wearing right now? Nothing. That's right. So mommy's going to teach you how to dress yourself. Underwear always comes first. Name tag at the back, then pants, then shirt. Get the first button in the right hole or you have to start all over. Socks going first, then shoes right on right, left on left. With shoelaces, just take the ends, cross them over, switch the loops. The rabbit goes down the hole, pull tight, and left with money ears. Got it? Why are your pants on your head? Most parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. But two minutes twice a day, making sure they brush their teeth is easier, and it could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. Visit 2 min 2 xorg to find out more. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Mouths, Healthy Lives, and the Ag Council. Positively uplifting. This is Empower Radio. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and maybe even listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. Also, stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. I'm here today with Jacob Lieberman and you you can find out so much more about his work at jacoblieberman.org. I'm going to spell that last name for you. Jacob, L-I-B-E-R-M-A-N.org. And welcome back, Jacob. I'm like, I just want to dig in to so many different things here because you've just barely scratched the surface of what you talk about in this book when we're looking at this force that's animating life and so you you talk about literally um that this you know you talk a lot about light and consciousness and really teaching us the significance of just following what is catching our eye and how to live from this place of of really pure source consciousness of losing the eye and moving through life um unencumbered and not working so hard i I love how you you really give lots of different examples here so maybe we could begin by just talking a little bit about about light or how you introduce light and consciousness and what what does all this mean so i'm going to see if i can put everything together uh, this question and everything we spoke about before in a concise, very practical place. If you look at things from a religious perspective, you'll notice that right in the beginning of the Bible, it says, let there be light. It describes some sort of a creative force that we call God as being all knowing, all seeing and everywhere at the same time. And then after it says that God is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, it says God is light. So that's 
interesting that in a religious perspective, the creative force is also referred to as light. If you go to spiritual text and you read historically back, spiritual text refer to this God state as something called consciousness. Interestingly enough, consciousness is spoken synonymously, described synonymously with the word light. So people often say light of consciousness. If you speak to quantum physicists, you realize that one, the foundation of quantum mechanics is actually light. And so when you speak to a quantum physicist and you say, gee, what's the nature of reality? What is what is underneath of all that we call life? They will say it's the energy of light. Now, of course, most of us have no idea what that means, because when we think of light, we think I look out my window and it's bright and that's filled with light. But if you go into outer space, which is totally filled with light, it's as black as black can be. Light is actually invisible. What we are experiencing when we look outside is not light. It's a perceptual phenomenon called brightness. It's something that we see in that way because a human being has eyes has a perceptual mechanism that tunes into that part of the energetic spectrum, and we have something called consciousness. So the first statement I want to make is regardless of where you look, it seems that this energy that we call light is the foundation of all that is. And then, of course, you know, you asked me a few moments before about... Um, what happened to me when I split my head open and all of a sudden I could see where was I seeing from? Well, let's see if we can talk about that for a moment because we're all led to believe that we see from our eyes or we see from our mind or we see from our brain. But all of us have a very interesting experience. We all know when that thing we call our mind is chattering. Every human being is aware when mind chatter is going on, what we most people call thinking, which for the most part is what I call worrying. So when we have thoughts, worries, concerns, there's something within our humanity that notices that. If there wasn't something noticing it, we wouldn't be aware of it. We confuse who we are because our whole life we've been told a mind is a terrible thing to waste. You know, uh, this is my point of view. I don't mind it. I won't change my mind or I can change my mind. And so we believe, we've been led to believe that we are what we call our mind. Mind chatter is actually the result of a lot of neuronal activity. The real source, our true essence, the place that sees from no point of view, 
is that silent field of awareness that lies in the background that notices this activity in the mind and these sensations in the body. That place that notices has no point of view and doesn't make a sound. So if you hear a voice, it's not that place. The best person that I have ever found to describe this was Ralph Waldo Emerson. He said, there is a principle underlying all things. In other words, there's something foundational to everything. And then he goes on. He says, it's a simple, undescribed, undescribable presence residing silently within us. So he says, this something which underlies everything is simple. You cannot describe it. It's silent. It doesn't speak. And it's within us. It's, it is synonymous with what is termed presence. And then he goes on. He says, we are not to do, but to let do. Not to work, but to be worked upon. So Emerson is talking about the fact that the body wakes up by itself in the morning. You don't have to remind it. It goes to the bathroom when it needs to. It eats whenever it needs to. The heart rate speeds up when it needs to and slows down when it needs to. And a woman has her cycle according to many different things. But we don't have to just, you know, remind ourselves about any of these things. So in essence, so much of the world is talking about changing your beliefs or changing this part of you that is dysfunctional or in denial or all these things that we've labeled ourselves to be. I haven't found any of that to actually be the case. There is nothing wrong with us. We've all been conditioned to believe that we are this chatter that's going on, which is the end result of what we call conditioning. Our true essence is that which is witnessing or noticing that activity silently from the background. The way we know the difference between that silent witness and the, uh, and the mind which is continually chattering is one is very often self-generated because we talk to ourselves and the other seemingly comes out of nothingness. It's like all of a sudden there's an insight, like a revelation, like you get something becomes totally clear on its own. Of course, very shortly af after that, the way we describe that is we say, I had a great thought. And we claim ownership of it. But in reality, it didn't come from us. It came to us. And so what, what happened for me 42 years ago that got me into the whole science of light is that I realized that there is something within us that is seeing that is beyond the eyes and beyond the brain. And how does this relate to light? Light, the primary purpose of light 
is to continually upgrade the software of our humanity. Let me see if I can describe mm. that quickly in terms that will make sense to you. You don't ever have to remind, a woman never has to remind her body when she should, you know, her cycle should begin. None of us have to remind our body of anything. It does it by itself. How does it do that? Why does it do that? Well, it does that because throughout the day and night, there are changes in the spectrum of energy, the energy of light that our bodies are interacting with. So let's look at this from the perspective of looking at an animal in the wild. You go into the woods, you see a bear. It's the middle of summer. The bear's thin is, uh, their skin is thinner and they have less hair on their body. Now it starts moving from winter to fall and the bear's skin begins to thicken. They begin to grow more hair. Now winter comes, the bear is hibernating. It wakes up one morning and it's a first snowfall. The bear never says, oh my God, I forgot to go to Target to get my overcoat. Why? Because a bear lives in a state of congruity and coherence with all that is. Another word for congruity and coherence is presence. The bear's physiology is continually being guided by the energy of light, the changes in the light spectrum, the changes in the quality and quantity of light. Those changes are continually telling every cell in the body. How do they tell it? Every cell in the body has eyes, just like the ones in your head. They see light. They can detect it. And then they follow its guidance. And so our body is continually upgrading itself so that we are living in a state of harmony with Mother Nature, in a state of oneness. There is nothing to do. This is occurring all on its own. And so uh, when I speak of light this way, people say, well, that's a nice uh, new agey idea. No, no, I'm talking about hard science. I spoke about this uh, 26, 27 years ago when my first book, Light Medicine of the Future, came out. In 2017, the Nobel Prize in Medicine or Physiology was awarded to three U.S. scientists that discovered the molecular mechanism of how each of our cells are continually changing and orchestrating their internal function according to the changes in light and darkness so that each of our cells can be in harmony with Mother Nature. So all of our efforting, all of our trying, all of the things we do to make things happen is like putting a, a, a wrench in the works. Yeah. We are continually being guided. Why are we being guided? Because each of us, like different trees, has a reason for being and our life's experience, what's catching our eye, moving us one way or another, is moving us on a journey so that we can fulfill our reason for being. Whether it is to be an artist, to be a doctor, or if you're an apple tree, to create apples. 
So, Jacob, this is that's beautiful. Thank you. I just really want to ground this idea here because the same light um, consciousness and the information in the light that's animating our bodies, that's breathing our lungs and beating our heart and shifting our blood sugars and growing the bear's fur, that same consciousness is guiding us as this inherent navigational system that's within us. Right. And so let's really bring that piece home for our listeners because I think it's really important that we can develop this. And it's more than just, you know, so many people talk about our intuition and talk about how to develop that and to listen. But I really appreciate this purity of this light piece that comes through with consciousness that really helps us to do nothing. Because when we're trying to develop our intuition, we're doing something and we're focusing and we're trying and we're looking and we're, and you suggest letting all of that go to just be in this responsive place. You see, intuition or instinct is essentially what you're saying is I sensed something that I have no idea where it came from. And what that is, is exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Nobody thinks that, you see, we all know that plants are affected by light. But very few people know that every physiological function is light dependent in a human being, that we are photosynthetic, just like plants. That's a scientific fact now. So the words we use to describe this, like intuition and so on, are just different words that are describing the guidance that we are receiving by light. And the reason we work on that is the same reason we work on everything else. And what I am sharing is, and you see, when we say do nothing, people think, oh, you're just going to become a couch potato. No, it doesn't actually work that way. Our body is continually running on its own. And the universe, and that includes everything within it, runs under the law of parsimony. Parsimony is the law of efficiency. What is efficiency defined? Getting the most out of the least. If something is perfectly efficient, it uses no energy at all. And we know that that's the way the body works and that's the way the universe works. So when we talk about grounding this and what do I have to do to do this? Because everybody says the same thing. Tell me what I have to do. And I keep saying nothing. Awareness is what is curative. When we begin to notice that we are receiving guidance all the time, call it intuition, call it, oh, I just had a sense about something. It doesn't make a difference what you call it. We are continually receiving something that is moving us. For instance, I, I've done a lot of interviews. People say to me, well, what questions should I ask you? I don't want to know anything in advance. Because then what happens when we rehearse, which is what all of us do most of our life, because we want to get the right answers. 
When we do that, which is what we've been trained to do, we miss the opportunity to uncover the genius of this universe and how it is continually biting us. We get we miss the opportunity of seeing how everything literally comes out of nothingness. I don't care what has been discovered in this universe before the insight comes. There is nothing there. Everything originates from a state of nothingness. It all comes out of that emptiness, which is actually not empty, but it's just empty of thought and chatter. So what's happening in my life is I don't plan anything. I allow my life to be guided. In the book, I speak about whatever catches your eye is looking for you. It's not that the eyes are looking for the light. It's that the light is actually catching the attention of the eye and reflexively moving the eye toward the next thing that we are to be with. And so whatever catches your eye is literally the next thing that is your priority. You don't have to prioritize things. Life will literally take you from place to place to place in order to accomplish what needs to be accomplished, whether you understand it or not. And I've had the pleasure of living life in this way for many, many years right now. And most people that know me uh, say, wow, he's super, super efficient. You know, you never see dishes in the sink or the bed is not made I just literally take care of whatever catches my eye, whether it's water on the counter around the sink or paying a bill or saying I love you. Whatever I, is moving me is where I move. And it's just fascinating because, you know, you mentioned in the beginning that I've spoken more than 2,000 times in front of audiences. I never prepare anything I've never used a PowerPoint, and I'm not suggesting that this is something everyone should do, but what I'm sharing is that people think it's about our information. No, it's about our humanity, our vulnerability, our ordinariness. And so when we allow that which is beating our heart and breathing us to also be the ventriloquist that speaks through us, we become an observer in this process, not the doer, and it is absolutely humbling and touching. And that's, that's what the luminous life is all about. And there are many, many different tiny little awareness expanding tools that I share in the book, but they're not about exercises. They're not about doing things. They're about seeing things in a way that we've never seen them before. And that seeing literally catalyzes a rewiring of our brain. Mm. And it really is a letting go as well of, of who we thought we were as an individual and as the ego and the thought and the mind. It's just a letting go and just trusting into resting in the awareness. Like you said, the awareness is curative, but it, the, the, the GPS comes from that sense of awareness. 
Yeah, and a very important piece now. <clears throat> We're led to believe that, gee, if we awaken to this state, then life is perfect. I always get the parking space in front of the health food store. I have no more relational issues. Money issues are gone. You know, that's a nice fairy tale. None of that really changes. None of us will escape life without occasionally getting sick or losing parents or losing a love of our life or maybe losing our money. And none of us are happy when that happens. We go through fear. We go through anxiety. So it isn't like all of a sudden life is perfect. What allows us to have this conversation is that your life and my life, we're sharing the same life. Mm-hmm. But what occurs is that we begin to realize that these things are not occurring because there's something intrinsically wrong with us. These things are occurring because they're part and parcel of the experience of life. That's why Buddha, in his, his four truths, the first one was life is difficult. And people that have written about Buddha Note that the most difficult part of his life was after his awakening. It isn't that we all of a sudden everything is perfect. We feel everything at a much greater depth. Mm. So the things that happen in life that we say, oh, that's awful. When that occurs, there's something that's on the right track because perturbance is the key catalyst that creates that opening that you speak of, that awakening that brings us into congruity with life itself. Mm. Beautiful. Jacob, this was a delight. I could listen to you. I understand why you've spoken to over 2,000 audiences. It's so fun to listen to you. So thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so grateful. I hope we can do it again because this is uh, was a beautiful way to start my day. So thank you so much. Oh, you are welcome. I think we should do part two. Our listeners have so much more to learn from you. So maybe we can schedule that. <laughs> Absolutely. All righty. And I want to leave you listeners with a thought. In any given moment, everything and everyone is intimately connected to and collaborating with everything else. The same force that moves the tides and changes the seasons also animates the beating of our hearts. So when an insight or a feeling suddenly imprints on your awareness, it's not an accident. The intelligence of life is looking for us, effortlessly directing us toward the next step on our journey. There is nothing to think about, consider, or choose. Just observe, and we will be guided to where we need to be, and what we need to do. You've been listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Thank you so much for tuning us in today. And remember, together, we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now. <music> 